Hello, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the episode four of Leading Your International School podcast. And today we have as our guest from the world's largest democracy, the suburbs of the national capital region of Delhi and the Millennium City of Gurgaon, the director principal of Shivnath School, Mrs. Monica Sagar. And before I invite her to introduce herself to our listeners, I was going through a LinkedIn post and something very, very interesting came up. And I, I couldn't resist sharing that with you. And here it goes. And I'll read out what she said. At the Shivnada school, the term school has a different meaning for us. The word originally comes from the Greek language and means leisure. Leisure time activities, especially involving philosophical discussions. Uh, well, leisure and philosophy, interesting combination, isn't it? Uh, discussions during the time of Socrates and Plato. In this spirit, the school for us is a... Now I'll read out the abbreviated word school and its full form. Sensitive, S, and child-centric, C, environment, fostering critical inquiry, which is like a home, away from home, where the children develop a love for lifelong learning through observation and experience to be outstanding human beings. I'm sure the word school would now have a very different meaning for all of us. And yes, such an interesting perspective, isn't it? There we go. That's the theme of our episode today. So before and without any further ado, I would like to invite Monica Ma'am to please introduce herself. Welcome Monica Ma'am and over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Vikas. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, I'd forgotten that I'd written that about 10 to 11 years back, you know, when I had just joined Shivnada School. And um, school has always been, for me, uh, a very different environment as a student. And I wanted to create a very different environment for students, somewhere that they would be very happy coming. And yet, learning should not be compromised, but learning should happen in a very fun way. And it would make them think of uh, things beyond the obvious and develop higher-order thinking skills. So I think that's what the definition is trying to convey. Oh, ma'am, very interesting, uh, Ms. Sagar, when you said beyond the obvious. You know, it's like, uh, and I'm sure uh, you would agree and the listeners also would agree that when you're looking at making an institution go beyond the obvious, we have to have some very solid perspectives of leadership to look at that. So my first question is, what is your leadership perspective? My leadership perspective is that a leader has to be a guide by the side and not a sage on the stage just like um, the recent definition of an educator or a teacher is. So the leader is also like a coach, a mentor, a guide by the side, and has to go through the same experiences as the team for everyone to come together cohesively. They have to help the team when they need their help, and they have to let go and trust the team when it's time to let go. So, you know, striking that balance is the most difficult um, for new leaders because suddenly in the throes of uh, a new position of leadership, people become over enthusiastic about taking all decisions, um, you know, and uh, making sure that they are in the middle of everything. So for a new organization to be set up, a new school to be coming up, I think a lot of um, 
focus has to be on culture building. So a lot of conversations, dialogues, discussions, readings are important to build that culture. And the leader has to then decide where to step in and where not to step in as the time goes by. I think it's very obvious uh, and it comes out very well that uh, how easily things have you've adapted to, you know, to change because if we go back and see what schooling and education used to be and as you very rightly said not the sage on the stage but the guide by the side and the fact that you have to build a culture I think these are two very important things which were not always the center of things as far as schools were earlier concerned but now yes so if this is your leadership perspective how did you arrive at it is it a personal journey or is it that you've experienced it or you've you know somebody's been a mentor to use guided it how, how did you arrive at this perspective so like they say that you are a parent, sometimes like your parent, and sometimes in spite of your parent, right. because you are a rebel and you want to do something totally opposite to your parents. Similarly, as a leader, when, when you're not in a leadership position, you come across uh, so many leaders you've been led by, and you assimilate a lot of things from each one of them, and you develop your own leadership style. It also you know, depends on your value system, on your personality, on your experiences, and who your role model is that you consider. Who would you like to emulate? So your own unique leadership style develops according to that. I think you've led me to my next two questions. So who's been your role model and how have you, who, any, any, any particular experiences which actually shape these things? So let's take it one by one any role models you can think of or any one person? I was in a, um, I grew up in a convent school, which was very, very strict. And I distinctly remember like, uh, when I'm saying very strict means we were also caned when we uh, did not follow the rules. There was this thin cane, uh, which sisters, I believe they used to say, we've got it from Karnataka. And they would use that on us. If you don't get a notebook, you don't listen to instructions and all that. But there was one principal who came in, like we've had many principals. So one principal, she was really tall, Sister Miriam. And um, I distinctly remember when I was about, um, I think, six or seven years old, when she would, she was almost, for me at that point of time, she must have been six feet or above. I don't know. I mean, she might well be five, six or five, uh, seven or even lesser. But for my six-year-old self, it was someone very, very tall. And uh, she would bend down, she would sit down at, and, you know, meet us, meet our eyes at the same level and then talk to us. So I remembered that. I thought that was the kindest thing to do to a child, that, you know, you don't talk from a position of authority and you would get down to the level of the child. And similarly, I think in all her interactions, not that she would, with adults, she didn't do that, but she would listen more and talk less. So one of my role models would be she as a principal. She stayed there, I think, maybe for five years and we got another principal. But uh, I've never forgotten her. And when I ask my friends from school or my cousins or my sister who was studying with me, we all remember Sister Miriam because she was the kindest. Even if she had to scold us, she would first tell us what we'd done wrong. And she never used a cane on us. While all other principals before and after and many nuns also did use but she never used it. 
she would just tell us the logic behind why what we'd done was wrong and she would ask us to reflect so i think somewhere she's been my role model but otherwise when i was when i started working and i've only worked in schools um different leaders you pick up different things from different leaders um uh, mrs adams was the principal at my um at one of the schools i was teaching which is uh, the shri ram school and um, i loved the way she was so comfortable uh, communicating with everybody on the public forum which i used to be extremely scared about you know i was very anxious as a public speaker um i was always in the singing and dancing group in schools or in the racing groups and public speaking was not my domain so i idolized her and i tried to emulate and you know try to use her methods of speaking where she would put everyone at rest by the words by the choice of words and uh, she never shouted she was very calm in fact on the mic she would go even calmer if we could say that you know she would use the bass of her voice more than the treble so that's where you um, you know you pick that up that immediately it had a calming effect then i worked with another principal uh, which is mrs lena prajit lena was a very very intelligent and wise uh, principal um she was academic she was very intuitive she understood she looked around the bend so she could foresee what would happen so she was very intelligent as a leader so there was a lot of learning that i had from her and um many colleagues i've seen who have been in leadership positions and you pick up something or the other from all of them so i think uh, uh, empathy role model walk the talk i mean an empathy and walk the talk which stand out for me from the from the experiences which you've said and uh, yes i think these were very very interesting and different experiences now uh, as an international community and as a you know community of international schools we might have different real life situations or different ground situations for each setup and each campus and each requirement however i feel that that one common thing which all binds us together is the student outcomes isn't it so how can we ensure that as leaders we mm-hmm. arrive at different perspectives that can aid our international schools and student outcomes so each individual each employee each educator will have a different perspective a different focus similarly each leader will have a different perspective and different focus but the whole part of coming together as a team is that whatever your perspective is you try to create a win win out of that situation and the goal has to be aligned to student learning outcomes and a lot of conversation around student learning outcomes have to happen i remember when we started the shivnada school um this i joined when the school was just um, completing the first year of um, k to 5 mm-hmm. so it was nursery yeah. to 5 there were about seven grades and we had about 270 odd students and uh, i joined in february whereas the next session was starting in april so february and march i just observed i went into each and every class i made sure i observed each and every teacher there were i think a handful of teachers at that point of time perhaps 20 or 21 teachers but i knew everyone's style and focus and strengths and weaknesses because i had free time on my hand the school was very new just a fledgling 
and um, observing them and helping them grow from there. I knew who to put where, but the discussion that I always did with them was one, asking for their inputs on whatever topic that I wanted to talk about, whether it was um, culture setting, whether it was the core values, because as a school, as an organization, you know, all the campuses of the Shivnada School have certain core values. And I feel these core values are critical. So I'm using critical as a as an acronym again. Yeah, and okay. critical meaning uh, compassion and respect, responsibility and sense of purpose, integrity, transparency and openness. Then um, I've added two of my own from I and oh. A because they were not there first. That's, that's interesting. Surely. C is... Um, C is um, commitment to excellence and right. L is lifelong learning. And the two that I added post the pandemic okay. were from I would be uh, an innovative mindset uh -huh. and A, agility. Because the pandemic or the uh, COVID has taught us that we need to be agile and adaptable. We can't be having, be living in a stone age, so to say, that we can't say, okay, Things here in our school happen only this way. We have to be ready for change. We have to be adapting quickly because change is the only constant in life. Time doesn't uh, stand still at all. Yeah. Very interesting, uh, Mr. Agar, when you said that, you know, uh, when you started, it was observation and uh, to know the strengths and weaknesses of the people you're working with, taking their input, trying to build that culture. And then you've talked about adding innovation and agility after the post-pandemic, having compassion as well. I think all of this requires that you be part of a specific environment for a period of time and then get form a connect and you know then you take the way forward. However, uh, I think across uh, schools, especially in the subcontinent, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but then that's what I've seen, that... Uh, a lot of international schools use expats as principals, right, as leaders. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that should international schools be only led by expat leaders as most international schools tend to do that? I mean, well, I wouldn't categorize people into locals and expats. I would uh -huh. categorize them into human beings. All human beings are different. Right. If I said all human beings are different. Yes, yes. Whether a person is an expat or uh, an Indian. Right. It depends on whether their value system matches that of the organization and what kind of a culture you want set. And what do your parents want? At the end of the day, your parents uh, will send the children to the school if they see value in the leadership and the culture that you're trying to create, along with setting high lofty goals for the children. And those goals don't have to be academic only. They have to be lofty in terms of a value system, in terms of uh, character building, in terms of sports, co-curriculars, everything. So a balance between all of that needs to be maintained. So whether the parents want an expat a leader or an Indian leader, uh, one needs to know that. And we do a lot of surveys. You know, our management from the beginning, from year one itself, uh, there's an annual parent survey which collects a lot of information from parents about um, 
what we are doing, whether they feel it's right or and we value their suggestions. So we are already quite agile and adaptable. We have we keep our ear to the ground to understand what the parents need because it's not like the old times that uh, things are set in stone. I remember the having a same almanac from grade one to grade 10. I was in school till grade 10. And then um, in my city, there wasn't, the 10 plus two system hadn't come. So I did a pre-university in college. So at right. 15 years, I was already in college, but from grade one to grade 10, the almanac design, everything was the same. You know, even uh, the, uh, whatever the rules, even the number that the rules, the way they were numbered was also the same. So things didn't change at all in those years. Mm -hmm. But uh, the present day has shown us that change is something you need to be adaptable to. And Absolutely. just like a corporate is listening to their customers and customer relationship management has come about in terms of um, any corporate which is seeking profit, for a school to be successful, you also have to listen to your stakeholders who are the parents. Well, uh, that's that's quite an interesting aspect to look at. And I think before I go into my next question, which is a continuation of this, let me remind my listeners, our listeners who might have joined us late, that, and you and those who have already been listening, you are, you must have heard a lot of perspectives coming in and out. And I think it's that this theme is one of the chapters called Perspectives on International School from our already published book, Leading International School, which can be now bought from Amazon, Kindle, and Apple as well. Uh, moving forward, uh, ma'am, you said stakeholders, right? And you said stakeholders as parents. But I think many times it does happen, and I'm sure you must have experienced this being in the role of a leader, that um, how is it that the international school leaders will tend to resolve a difference of opinion from that very important or the most important stakeholder that is the promoter or the owner of the school. You know, the parents would come after that. But if there is a difference of opinion with the promoter as far as the ideology and the way forward, how do you think that could be resolved? I don't, if the right person has been um, fitted into the organization, I would say as a leader, because like Jim Collins says, first get the right people on the bus right. and then decide where the bus will go. Right. Right. If that is true for any corporate, it's true for a school also. I think mm -hmm. before selecting a leader, a lot of care needs to be taken to make sure that the value system and the goals are aligned with the leader. Otherwise, there'll be a conflict. There'll be a major conflict if the goals are not aligned, if the culture the leader is trying to set is contrary to the culture that the promoters want. And if there is a lot of dialogue between them, in the beginning, at least in the first few years, a lot of dialogue needs to happen between the promoters and the leader to understand each other's perspective. And if the promoters sometimes do need uh, to be enlightened, perhaps, into what will make a school work, they need to listen to the leader. And the ne leader needs to listen to what exactly the promoters want. Some schools are... Um, I would say very profit driven still. And some schools like to create a brand which is really solid and large in the eyes and the ears of the public. 
So the goals are different for both. You know, and just like a corporate, when you have, uh, you would actually trade off one for the other and try to create a win-win. You have to balance all that out. So is it the results which are important? Is it the value system and the character that you're building for the students important? Or a little bit of both is important? Are you looking at turning out um, uh, politicians and world leaders from the school, like an Eton or a uh, Harrow? Are you looking at um, having a school like the UWC, which is looking at contribution to society? So the leader's perspective is aligned, has to be aligned to the promoter's perspective. 60 to 70% at least. The rest can be sorted. A win-win can be reached if 60 to 70% is aligned for both. I think uh, Stephen Covey is doing a lot. I mean, the win-win comes out a lot many times. And I think the, his, his book is uh, straight away uh, quite an inspiration for many of us. Yeah. Uh, but you very rightly said that, you know, it has to be a balance or it has to be an alignment. 60 to 7% and then the rest can happen. However, uh, you know, many, obviously, we as humans, each one of us have our own leadership styles. Each one of us have our own understandings and ways of doing things. Now, in order to be able to meet those expectations or the promoter's ideas and also to be able to, you know, take the rest according to yourself, if I may ask this, that a tough leader will take the school up and a soft leader will bring the school down. Do you agree with this statement? Not at all. <laughs> so, I mean, what's your, your thoughts on this? You need tough love. Okay. Because um, while the goal alignment has to happen, you know, there was a very interesting thing I read that LEAD can be an acronym for uh, what the leader should be doing. So when we talk of lead, which is L-E-A-D, it is listen. First, listen to your stakeholders, your team members, your promoters, um, the parents. So listening is very important. The E stands for um, engaging with them. Listen to them, engage with them. And A is for aligning them to the goals that are needed to make the school successful. And it's only after you do these three things that you have to start doing something. So the listening, the engaging, the alignment and empowerment to the goals and empowering your team to, you know, help to give them strategies on achieving those goals. Because uh, you can't really uh, achieve your large lofty goals immediately. There has to be a time frame. You have to create a... Gantt chart, as you say. So uh -huh. little, what, what is going to be, even in the school development plan, what yeah. is going to be your three-year goal? How do you break it down to an annual goal? How do you mm -hmm. break it down to a termly goal or a monthly goal or a weekly goal? You know, that's very, very important. How do you, you break it down on achieving certain goals? And your SDP is really important. It tells you what you have to focus on, the school development plan especially. I think uh, you just very interestingly said that, you know, uh, you have to, in order to transform a school, you need to have this alignment with the STP. 
but uh and i was and it's and it's there in the in our book as well that there remains a deep dichotomy between how closely you should place yourself to the school's learning processes and to what extent you should engage with transformational practices you know because uh, i'm sure uh, you would agree that as a leader we cannot allow, you know dissociate ourselves from the learning process the moment we do that i think the whole idea of leading goes but then being at the role in the role where you are you also have to transform or bring change and that obviously would be one of the expectations from the uh, stakeholders whether it's the parents or the promoters so how do you you know this this dichotomy where do we strike this balance how do you do it i mean you know obviously you also have been in this for a, more than a decade you were a founding principal now you're the director principal i'm sure you face the situation where you have this dichotomy so what suggestions would you give to people who would face this you know so in the beginning i would say um being closely connected with what is happening in the school in each classroom not in matters of controlling it but in matters of pedagogy for example our school has a very different constructivist uh, pedagogy based on the universal design for learning so to ensure that that pedagogical practice is being followed in every class every instruction that is happening it's very important so that you know that can be embedded into the system so that it becomes lifelong learning for all the whole team and keeping your team motivated listening to them like i said the leader has to first listen listening to your team um having a one on one when the school was small i used to have a one on one periodically with every staff member you know spend about half an hour to 45 minutes in my office on a daily basis i would meet at least um four staff members at least so that i would cover all of them and get to know them personally and have that connect um give them the feeling that um i'm here i have your back and if you have any issues you're free to talk to me about them you know i would like to continue doing that even now but i don't have the time and the team has grown to 300 plus so and the middle level leaders are then aligned to do the same and carry the same culture forward so in the beginning is very important to be in the know to make sure that the pedagogical alignment happens to make sure that your goals are being met in terms of the value system that the student should have you should have practices which are um, important um you know there should be there should be visible like jenny mosley said that they would be visible on the wall you should have posters saying what is um permissible what is not permissible in the school that sets a certain amount of culture and for children and for the team it's very important to see those around walking the talk is important you could be saying one thing and doing something totally different then your team will not get aligned to what you're doing your students will not respect you because you say one thing to them but you are doing something completely opposite whether it's a teacher or the head of school so walking the talk is extremely extremely important and then slowly and steadily you will move towards your goal and if you need to divert in the middle like in during the pandemic um the three year plan was something which was put on hold first it was like dousing the fire right how do we do this how do we run the school 
I remember that the last day uh, before the vacations uh, that year, 2020 March, was around 22nd March. Right. And right. around the 14th or 12th or the 14th March, we realized that it might schools might just shut down because it was announced somewhere on the 20th. Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, yes. so we were just seeing, okay, how many of you are able to take classes on Skype? And many teachers, because we are living in Gurgaon and sometimes there used to be days uh, where the pollution level was very high, the AQI was really bad. So the government would declare a closure. So teachers, the senior school teachers had actually learned to uh, do classes on Skype or on um, Zoom also. Google Meet or Zoom. Google Meet, yeah. They were already using the free version. Right. Um, also, we had, uh, fortunately for us, a couple of years, like from maybe around 2017 or 18, we had introduced the one is to one program for 678, where the children were getting iPads and a lot of learning in order to enhance engagement. These children were using like 30% um, of the classes were taken on the iPads and 70% was regular classes without uh, devices. So all these teachers from March 12th to about March uh, 20th, when the school was closing, I think we did, we got them to train each other how to take classes online, how to use those devices. You know, um, the one-is-to-one -one teachers were using things like Nearpod. They were using Padlets. They were using lots of interesting, engaging tools with the children, Quizit, oh. and many more. And so there was a lot of cross-pollination of uh, the middle school was teaching those strategies and techniques to senior school and the early years. And senior school teachers were teaching how to take Zoom classes on Zoom to the middle and others. So we had these mentors teach the teachers program, uh, you know, uh, mentor, mentoring the mentee kind mentoring of a, the mentee. Yeah. So uh, amongst teachers. Right. And so I think... Um, we did open the school on 10th April. We did not delay. I'm sure we didn't do a great job, but we managed to stay afloat. And a lot of discussion happened between the teaching staff across the school, how we could learn from each other. And we started having those Zoom meetings to discuss what strategies would work. And uh, I think that vacation almost went for a toss. We were all at home. And uh, uh, everyone with a device and any teacher who didn't have a device of their own, although we are fortunate that our school hands out a laptop to every teacher who joins as soon as they join. Yes. So we were fortunate in that way. Otherwise, it would have been a difficult. I've heard of schools which had a very difficult time. So I think all in all, we um, adapted to that change. The first month, while we completed the goal of taking classes online, we weren't very engaging. So that time the school was only from April 10th to about May 10th. We opened it for four weeks and we said, we need to um, close for summer vacations and we'll keep you in the loop. But we had meetings with every grade. I personally spoke to parents of every grade who were very worried that, you know, how long is it going to last? Uh, what will happen to our children? Will there be gaps? So all these questions and fears were there. And um, I think just being accessible to me and to be able to talk to even the middle level leadership 
and uh, have their fears assuaged in the sense that we're all in this together. Don't worry. We will take them where they are at whatever level they are and we'll take them forward. Right now, let's make sure that they're emotionally safe. And that was what we were talking about. And that is how we reached out to them that, you know, many forwards were coming in. One very nice forward which came in was that um, we are all in the same storm, but we are in different boats. Right, yes. Each one's context was different. Each one's perspective was different because of the context. But accessibility for all stakeholders with each other and the common collaboration and the willingness to connect and um, allow them to connect. I think right. that is what took us forward. Uh, I think, uh, Ms. Nagar, the, the very fundamental and vital thing which you just said in the last sentence was emotionally safe. I think uh, emotional intelligence, uh, and I, I, I cannot hesitate to quote Daniel Gleeman, where he said that emotional intelligence, he believes, is the sine qua non for successful leadership. Uh, do you agree with this? It is, is Absolutely. It? Because we've heard so much about, you know, we used to, we're so used to about that IQ every time. But over a period of time, especially the pandemic has taught us about the importance of EQ and AQ. So your thoughts on the fact that, yes, this could be the fundamental of a successful leadership. Emotional intelligence is extremely important. And the first step of emotional intelligence is self-knowledge. Self-knowledge, self-discipline. Uh, looking at a win-win, I will again uh, talk about how Kobe <laughs> talks yeah, about uh, private victory and public victory. So yeah. first you have to learn to um, know yourself, discipline yourself, work towards certain goals. Like they say, first things first. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Mm -hmm. So I think he's summed up that entire a journey of emotional intelligence really well from private victory to public victory. If you look at all the seven habits that Stephen Covey talks about right. and uh, the seventh one being um, sharpen, sharpening the saw. So what is the saw? The saw is you, your personality, your entity. And if you don't know yourself and you don't know how to make yourself better and get along better with people around you and take them along with you, you can't be a leader. I think uh, very important when you said that uh, knowing yourself better, knowing the people around you better and taking them along with this takes me to that one single very important word called empathy. Please correct me if I'm wrong because I think uh, we say that empathy is the vital attribute that a leader must have, right? But uh, can empathy be really experienced? There was this very beautiful activity um, that, you know, many of my teachers do with the children in order to teach them empathy. Okay. Um, they, I've seen one or two doing that. They call a child, mm -hmm. like when they're talking about empathy, right. and uh, the teacher removes her shoes or his shoes and says, okay, get into my shoes. And they try to get into the shoes by wearing their own shoes at first. The students are wearing their own shoes okay. and they try to get into those larger right. shoes, but they're not able to get in. And um, the teacher would say, uh, well, what do you need to do before getting into my shoes? Right. Yeah, we'll have to take off our shoes. <laughs> so empathy starts from there. 
right, until right. you um, absolutely, I think, remove that um, thinking of only yourself, your self-interest, and only then you can get into someone else's shoes. Only then you can empathize. When you shut off all voices in your head, because invariably what happens is when someone is talking and telling you something, a stray word or a letter or uh, an expression will trigger some memory in your head and you will start thinking of that rather than listening to the person. And you will start judging the person from your own perspective. And if you switch off everything in your head, that means akin to removing your shoes and then listen to the person only then can you get into that person's shoes. So that whole active listening mindset of listening and clarifying and repeating and saying that, okay, is this what you mean? Is this what I think you mean? Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. And summarizing, it's called the mirroring technique, which is used by um, counselors the world over. That you say the same thing that the person is trying to say and ask them if this is what you're trying to mean, because half the problems and conflicts happen because you have not uh, really removed your shoes before getting into other people's shoes. And because you're not listening, you're hearing with voices in your head, which are contradicting what you're hearing or judging what you're hearing, but you're not really listening. So empathy means active listening. I think, this is a very, uh, a very uh, an awakening kind of description which you've given, and I think uh, when you look at the role of 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 empathy as a leader, and role of trying to get into somebody's shoes, knowing the kind of activities, knowing the kind of setup which international schools deal today with, I always wondered whether you know uh, because I remember when I was growing up and in my you know schooling and the kind of principles I had. Uh, they would be the figure, central figurehead. And, you know, they are doing, they are the ones who, which are the focus. If they say yes, it is yes. If they say no, it is no. And they are the ones who are doing everything. It's like, you know, one-stop leadership, which is there. So that's the central focus. I don't know whether empathy exists, the word existed at that point in time or not, because everything they were doing, and it was like, it seemed more of a diktat rather than a leadership idea. But having said that, uh, and what I've seen uh, with you, I think, uh, do you feel that every leader or leadership as such should be doing things? It should, it, should it be centric around the leader, that one single person? Or there's a word which I've often heard and it's there in our book as well and I've often heard from you as well. It's called distributed leadership or distributive leadership. Uh, your thoughts on its importance and do you recommend that as a perspective to people? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is the age also of crowdsourcing for ideas. You know, with the internet, the World Wide Web, um, what you have learned becomes redundant very quickly. Having on your team members who are very diverse, diverse across cultures, mm -hmm. diverse across ages, mm -hmm. um, diverse across experiences, across genders today, mm -hmm. It's so important to um, have a balanced view. Yes, when you are faced with uh, an emergency situation like the COVID was or any other emergency situation, 
I think at that point of time, you have to uh, take the reins in your hand, meet with the middle-level leaders, decide what is the right thing, and quickly come to a decision and move forward on that. But if it isn't a very urgent kind of a decision to be made, then it should be open um, for discussion and debate amongst a team. And um, crowdsourcing for ideas always gives you better ideas because many heads come up with a better solution rather than one head. And you can then, you know, save yourself from any kind of pitfalls. And being op open to admit that you might be wrong and retracing your steps and beginning again is also important in certain contexts. The leader is just one person and uh, very fallible, not a demigod. So it's very important to have faith in your middle-level leaders because as the organization grows now, when there were 30 teachers in my team, I did not have coordinators. When that team in the next year grew to 75, I had grade leads. You know, grade leads, uh, an early years head and a primary head. For middle and senior, there was no head. And right. in the third year, when the team grew to about 100, then there was a middle and senior head also. And in the beginning, we kept these positions rotational so that everybody also gets a taste of leadership and the team needs to also understand what is it to be like a leader. I know that we had a lot of uh, time on our side. We were not in a hurry, although we were growing very rapidly because the number of students were growing like in the first year, there were about 270. The second year, there were 550. Uh, the third year, there were about uh, almost 800. And then we grew to uh, about 1,000. And today, we are about, there, there are about 2,000 plus students. So we were growing rapidly, but middle-level leadership and uh, the distributed leadership that we call is really, really important as the organization grows. Uh, from the beginning itself, um, rather than putting people in fixed positions, I think for a young organization to continue to have many people in different positions also teaches them, you know, grooms them along the way. And you also have to groom uh, people who you've seen have leadership potential and keep moving forward. As the team grows, you have to have leaders from within. I think uh, having been with the organization for seven years, I've seen that. That that internal uh, internal growth is very very important. It does happen, and distributed leadership definitely is there. However, uh, you know, having talked about you know the the leadership roles like a coordinator or a head of department or you know middle leaders and all those, uh, I think there is one term which I personally felt that you know if if we do not stick to these nomenclatures and instead of that, of course, these are there as roles and officially we do have those. But if in the essence of it, we can say that they are mentors rather than just being the roles they are you know, leading, do you feel that uh, by mentorship or using them as mentors and giving them a role of mentors, we would benefit more than they, they being as roles in which they are per se? Look, it isn't this versus that. They have okay. to do both together. Right. They have to be mentoring their team and they also have to make sure that the goals of the organization are being met. 
right. that whatever right. they're working towards is getting done. Um, our CEO always talks about leadership having three main objectives. First, getting the job done. Mm -hmm. Second, keeping the team motivated. And right. third is looking around the bend. Right. So you have to not do one at the cost of the other. Mm -hmm. You have to do all three together and you have to balance it out. Absolutely. So um, I think for an international uh, school also, confluences are really, really important. The way our uh, IBDP is functioning, I think every week they have a one hour dedicated conference time and they have their own subject conferences that they have uh, over and above that. But that one hour where the whole team comes together and they talk about uh, what is needed to be done, uh, you know, uh, what is and having a clear calendar of events as well as gu uh, guidelines in terms of what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, and also a calendar of deadlines that have to be met, you know, especially IAs that have to be uploaded. Uh, the extended essays that have to be uploaded or any kind of internal assessment. So the internal calendar has to be a little earlier than the IB calendar because you can't be burning the midnight oil and uploading everything. It's not fair on the DPC or uh, the Cambridge coordinator, you know, or um, the MYP lead, um, whichever uh, international program the school is running. I think uh, in the beginning of this uh, recording, you said that you were initially not a very good public speaker. I, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I don't think that is was must have been in any case the way you've been communicating. And I was this is this go, takes me to my last question: that do you feel communication is one of the keys of having a effective, positive leadership perspective? Communication is very important in every walk of life and especially for a leader because um, if you're not able to communicate what you're working towards, the team will be very unfocused and confused. So clarity has to be given in terms of uh, how you choose to communicate that. You have to first make it clear in your own head and see how, what is the way forward, and then discuss it with your distributed leaders, and then keep it open for the other members of staff. And um, while you've taken some decisions, um, you should also be open to feedback from them because at the end of the day, it was they who will be working at the grassroots level. And sometimes they might encounter some issues which you've not even forethought. So being adaptable, agile is important along with good communication. Good communication is a key because I've seen, um, I mean, as a teacher, as a student, um, I have seen a lot of people in leadership who don't communicate very clearly what they want. So it leaves the students, if the teacher is like that, or the team members, if the leader is like that, in a very confused state of mind. And everybody will be doing their own thing. So communication is of utmost importance. I think uh, this, uh, when the listeners listen to this episode, I'm sure they would not realize how the time, 50 minutes crossed. How did the time go by? Because uh, for me, it was a very, very 
even though I've interacted with you so, so, so many times in so long, but I think this is a completely in-depth, rigorous and thought-provoking interaction, which is even equally enlightening for me. And let me conclude by a small few lines from our chapter from the book, the chapter being Perspectives on International School Leadership. International schools are complex organizations that require school leadership to take a three-dimensional perspective, including awareness of leaders, proximity, proximity to, and ability to affect learning. A number of different international leadership models do exist and operate, but before moving into any international school leadership role, a prolonged period of professional socialism and deep understanding of your school's cultural context will be critical to your developing relationships that can be used to positively sustain change. So I think with this, I would like to thank you so much, Mrs. Sagar, for being with us and enriching us with this excellent, amazing, interesting perspectives of international leadership and very thought-provoking. Uh, for our listeners, I would once again reiterate that episode four, Perspective of International School Leadership, from our published book, Leading an International School, on our website, as well as the podcast link. Once this podcast is released, I'll be sharing the link on our LinkedIn handles. And until we meet again with our next episode, this is your host, Vikas, signing off. Have a good bye. Take care. And thank you for being with us. Yeah.